Hi there, my name is Willie Russo and you're listening to Interview with an Artist, the weekly show where we profile Australian artists. Jumping castles inspired by mental asylums, industrial grade confetti blowers, copyright infringement treasure hunts. These are not your typical accoutrement to the fine art world and CJ Hendry is not your typical fine art world contender. A highly skilled, self-taught drawer of hyper-realistic images, Hendry knows there is a game to be played, and she's playing it, by her own rules. From selling her first piece in 2013 for about $10,000, to now selling pieces for hundreds of thousands of dollars, Hendry has come a long way, and yet there's still further to go. CJ Hendry joined me from her New York studio for this week's interview with an artist, And before I let you get into it, if you enjoyed today's episode, you know the drill. Please rate, review and share. It's a big help. Enjoy meeting CJ Hendry. I'd love to have a little bit of a general chat to you just about, first of all, the paper and pencil fair. Was that awesome? Honestly, I was blown away that so many people come to Frankfurt of all places, but just it was like... I don't go to music festivals, but I'm assuming it was like a music festival, but just old people in suits doing like, looked like big mega deals over stationery. I was like, wow, there's a big business in this. Like who would have thunk it? It was just like eight football field sides. Like, you know, there was like little golf buggies taking people along the corridors. Like it was huge. And just the food stands just to feed these masses of people. It was just unbelievable. I've never seen anything like it, to be honest. And because you're looking at doing a pencil deal, aren't you? Is it Karen Dash? Yeah, at the moment, it's so strange. So I am actually, wor- I've only recently started working with Karen Dash, this particular um, Swiss um, pencil company. But I've been very upfront with them. I said, guys, thank you. Like, this is a great opportunity, but I am going to become your competitor very soon and they're like we don't mind Um, I think they think they're just such a big deal and they are I'm not going to lie but they are very open to the fact that I'm going to start my own pencil line they're not stressed in the slightest isn't that just amazing that is so amazing isn't it so anyway in July last year you were saying that you you thought a natural progression for you or the next progression for you would be to go to a gallery Do, do you still feel that um, I do because um, there is there are levels to the art world and especially in New York, well, it's not just New York, but when the higher up or the more, t- it's not about going higher up, the more time you spend in this world, um, there, is, there are certain benefits to working with a gallery at the highest level. Um, won't get into all of it, but I wouldn't go down that route if I didn't think it was beneficial to not just me, but to them as well. I think it's definitely where things might progress, but it's just dependent on which type of mega gallery you know I'm not interested in signing necessarily with like a smaller Australian gallery there's there's they call them mega galleries you know in New York they've got galleries all around the world but they do have power play and it takes things to a whole nother level you know like people might think I'm at some type of level but there's a hundred levels above me I'm still small time in the the higher end art world for sure people might perceive where I'm at to be like oh my god you've made it I'm like I've, I haven't even scratched the surface yet of, of what I 
could be capable of, you know, and that's that that excites me a lot. That's why I'm like, oh god, you can't get too ahead of yourself here because there's so many levels to this game, especially here in the states. Like things happen at just monstrous, monstrous, at a monstrous, monstrous scale. It is just that like economy of scale, right? It's just a bigger market, bigger players, bigger budgets. Yeah, and then it's it's not just the budgets; it's just the the cost of works that get sold and acquired and go on the secondary market and bought back and resold and all these different things, which I never talk about, but it's it's a very big part of my practice and something we strategize on. And yeah, we it's just something that happens in the background, but I'll never publicize it, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I heard you talk about your London show and you've got 10 tonnes of flower petals, four industrial confetti blowers, one severely pimped up London church that you've rented, you don't own, that the Church of England is just going to love you for at the end of. Uh What's the update with that show? We don't know. I think what's funny is like there's still been no announcement via, you know, like the UK or the US as to when things might start progressing. I think the economy is still in shutdown very much in the US, I'm assuming also in the UK. And I think when Boris maybe opens things up, when Trump kind of announces like, okay, planes will start flying in September, then maybe we can start planning that. But at the moment, every like no announcements have been made. They kind of keeping their cards close to their chest. So I would love to do it this year, but I'm assuming it might be an early 2021 exhibition, maybe. Are you rolling into mode for what would have been 2021 or are you kind of Um, just... I'm just to put it this way, the exhibition is done and paid for. Like we've done the renovations, we've done everything, we've done the planning, we just need to execute it. And to be honest, the execution is the easiest part. The planning, the organising, the preparation, the trial, the error, the back, the forth, like a year of back and forth, that's the hard, expensive part. And just executing is just, you know, you flick on a switch and off you go, you know. So it's it's easy and it'll be really fun to do. But at the moment we're just, I'm just working on a few custom pieces and then I'd say in the next month or two, I've already got some ideas, but working toward a 2021 exhibition. I might have two big exhibitions next year just by happenstance, you know, just accidentally. Yeah. yeah. When did you start calling yourself an artist? Um, I don't know. I just think I, you kind of have to. I mean, I I still don't even say I am that like when people are like oh what do you do I'm like oh just a bit of this and that you meet people for the first time because I hate getting into it I hate like yes I'm talking to you but I really don't enjoy talking about myself I'd just rather I'd like to learn what other people are up to and I'm just uh, just more interested in what they uh, have to say instead of rabbiting, rabbiting on about my own whatever's going on so half the time I just say oh look I've got multiple interests and then I just leave it at that and I'm like oh what do you do and half the time no one remembers to ask again and that suits me just fine so I don't know I'll, I'll say I'm an artist if it's an in, if it's an interview but if I'm meeting people I've never met before I just say I fluff around with a bit of this and that you know like I, <laughs> I do a whole lot specific I just do some things here and there you know I've very vague. Yeah, and everyone everyone just remembers you as that kind of lovely Australian woman who kind of does, I'm not really sure what she does, but like. <laughs> Wait, what? I never got to that. So that's fine by me. Like, you know, it, I just, oh, I just don't enjoy talking. Because uh, it, it's quite complicated to explain as well. And it's like, oh, art, it's like, oh, what, what work do you do? You're like, oh, here we go, like down the rabbit hole. And I, oh, I just don't want to have to explain it. Like, oh. 
Yeah. And I, I think also for you as well, in particular, you're a businesswoman as well, right? So the art is the product, yeah. but you have a whole you have a business yeah. and you have an operations team and you have strategy and marketing. But you know what? I don't like to bog people down with like, oh, I'm an up, but I also do this and that. I'm like, you know, I'm just, it's just an artist in general. And, you know, I also think what's interesting about nowadays, so much has changed and is changing in that an artist now, I don't think needs to be this one, you know, very linear thing. I think an artist can be, a multi-dimensional creative person who can do lots of different things. And I think that's been shown, not just through me, there's lots of other artists who actually do it way better than me, to be honest. And I think it's great that you can just be a creative person who happens to sell art. You know, I think that's what I am. I'm not not hecka creative. I'm really good at, you know, like sitting down drawing, but there's a lot more people who are more creative than me and whatever it might be. But, yeah, just multi multi-platformed there's lots of things that go on here and it's not just art you know there's designing invitations and designing exhibitions and doing private dinners and all these wild things just are constantly happening can you tell us about one of your favorite pieces that you've created oh gosh um you know what I'm not I don't like get too attached to anything I'm not very sentimental so I'm like very hard to buy presents for and all that like it, my, my husband always complains so much he's like well I just don't know what to get you I'm like well just get me snacks because like you know that'll keep me happy um so in terms of art I don't really have a favorite I, I go through phases so like whatever I'm working on at that moment or that year is a favorite because I'm so obsessed with it that I'd build a whole exhibition around it and then I I don't move on but I become interested in other things so it's like I constantly move from being interested in different pieces and maybe a favourite of mine from five years ago is not a favourite anymore, you know, because I'm constantly developing my ideas. And I always think my old ideas were shit as well. So I'm always like, oh, that one was shitty and I really like this new idea that's coming up and it might also be shit. So it's constantly changing. Oh, (laughs) You're like, what was I thinking back then? (laughs) I'm embarrassed. I'm like, oh, my God, what was I thinking? Also, when it comes to interviews, I'm like, oh, my God, what the fuck? Why did I say that? (laughs) This back here, I'm like, don't listen to me. Don't ever listen to me. What are you talking about? What? No, I never said that. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, oh, God. I just always put my foot in it, but that's part of the fun of it. Like, I'm like, oh, God, don't listen to me. Like, I'm not a lawyer, thank the Lord. You know, I'm just a <laughs> really get around kind of playing playing games and just being an idiot, you know, it's not a big deal. What do you do to get out of a creative funk? You know, it sounds bizarre, but, like, I don't have creative funks per se because I never sit down on a Monday morning at 9 a.m. and think, right, I need to think of the thing now. It's never like a sit down, it must happen, create the thing. It's just when I'm drawing, I find it very meditative. So I find I come up with a lot of ideas and I do a lot of my thinking when I'm drawing and I find it very calming and I find my ideas more rational and thought out. Um, So I never really have funks. If it doesn't feel right, I'll move on to something else. You know, I never give myself hard targets to try and come up with. You know, I'm not also working for someone else. So if it doesn't feel right, I don't do it. I just kind of like always manipulate ideas and change and alter until something sticks, you know? Yeah. It's weird. I think with funks, you just got to, I think, 
for me, and I don't know if this works for everyone, but it's just about consistency. So I don't, you know, I don't come into the studio one day a week and pretend to work. Like I'm here every day and some days are more productive than others. Some I don't do any drawing, some I do all drawing, some I'm thinking, some I'm not, you know, so it's, you know, I think a culmination of the more I'm at the studio, the more I'm thinking, the more I time I have to be able to come up with interesting ideas, you know? So it's just the more time you give to it, the better outcomes you get. How do you know when a piece is done? Um, it's probably never done, but I think when the photograph says it's done, because I copy from a photograph, you know, I'm not whipping it out of my head. Uh, but, yeah, I just kind of look at it and I, you just know I work in sections. So, if you know, there's a, maybe 20, 30 different sections in an artwork and once each section's done, I move on to the next one and then I finish off with my final section and then it's done. Do you find yourself looking in terms of colour pencils now? Do you look at something and go, ooh, that's these colour pencils? No, I don't actually because I don't I don't get scared by coloured pencils. I just know how to manipulate the colours to get the colour I want with layering. I, I was very nervous at the beginning but now you just kind of get used to it. And Who would you say is your biggest fan? Uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't spend much time worrying about that or being that interested in that. You know, I think it's a combination of there's just so many fantastic people who have supported me in different ways, whether big or small, like it doesn't matter. I just think, you know, there's just so many different types of folks, whether it's people who buy my art or people who just give a double tap or someone who doesn't even do that, someone who tells their mum, like it doesn't matter. I think there's always like different people who support in different ways. And Lewis has been with you from like early early drawing days hasn't he yes and so he does he ever go wow that one was really awesome or I can't believe that this one is has been as successful as it is you know this sounds really weird and maybe we have a weird relationship we don't really talk about my art or my practice that much like you know he it's never like he doesn't dote on me in that way and I would really feel very uncomfortable if that was the case like we definitely wouldn't be together if that was the case um yeah we just spend time talking about other things like the art is just the thing that I make and I I don't lean into it I don't it's just the thing that happens also Lewis has a really big startup business as well so we we spend most of our time talking about that to be perfectly honest (laughs) which is really interesting and then talking about we just bought a house we're talking to the architects with renovations which is really fun so yeah we don't spend much time talking about my stuff unless I'm like really in a pickle and I'm like it doesn't feel right and then I'll like be nabbering in his ear in bed and he's like oh okay let's sit up let's go through it Right, so this is what I'm thinking. It's not there. It's not there. And he's like, "Oh, well, we could go, go back." And he, he keeps encouraging me, but we don't. The whole, our lives are not revolved around my practice at all. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's probably really healthy. That's probably really healthy. Oh my god, I would. That would be so boring. Like it's so self indulgent too. Like, oh, that would just make me sick. Who's your biggest critic? Are you pretty tough on yourself? Yes, absolutely. And I think it's good to be tough on yourself because otherwise you get complacent and then I think complacency breeds mediocrity. Yeah, and I just like I think it's good to always be on your toes and never think that you've ever nailed it. you just got to keep wanting to do more and do it better and bigger. Interestingly, with okay, so you've got your home now. Yeah. Um, are you starting to buy art? And, and who, who's the last piece you've bought, if you are? Ah, yes, we do actually buy art. Um, not necessarily from big established artists. Oh, a few. I think the most recent one we bought was 
it's it's also art that's so different from my work as well, which is crazy. So we, recently we bought this piece. It's like a spray-painted cookie monster piece. It's so strange. Um, it's by this artist called Katsu, and he does all these paintings with a drone, and they're just wild and messy and rough and gorgeous, and I just love that. I don't know why. I just love it. Yeah, so, yeah, we buy from different artists here and there when there's pieces that are either funny or ironic or brilliant, you know, wherever kind of tweak our eye, we'll, we'll get it if we can. And where are you looking for your art? Like are you on, are you following artists on Instagram or are you, is there kind of an art scene in New York that you're tapped into? Just literally on Instagram and through a gallery that I really like and respect and he is represented by them and yeah I've just enjoyed his work for a while and like what he stands for and yeah he's just a bit like we I don't know what he looks like but I know his work you know I don't know he's kind of great. If you could be hung in any museum large gallery institute around the world and when I say institute I don't necessarily it doesn't necessarily need to be an art institute it could be a really big business that you admire. Where would you love to see a big CJ Hendry? Um, I don't know. I really don't. I actually don't know the answer to that. There's so many wonderful institutions and I'm sure I'll be there eventually, but uh, it's, it's of little to no interest right now. Like it, it's not my drive and focus and I, I have no aspirations for it, although I'm sure it will happen. But, oh, I just couldn't care less, honestly. It's <laughs> The ultimate wank, you know. I'm like, fuck it. It's more fun doing it on my own. I just think the wanky things, it's just about hanging the art. I'm like, no. Oh, I think one day, maybe a museum, you know, we're already in discussions, but it's just a very long process. And I just work a little quicker, you know. I'm like, oh, God. But, you know, that's how they yeah. work. And it's, you know, it's long, slow, very planned and thought out. I'm like, it doesn't need to be this. Um, stringent but whatever I don't run them so it's fine feel like there's layers upon layers of so then like there's the bureaucracy and there's the admin right but then there's like the art politics (laughs) which totally and there's so many probably board members who sit on the board of this museum and that and they probably need to be like oh everyone needs to agree on you know uh, I don't know. It, it's just a bit slow for me at the moment. Although we are, like I said, we're in discussions, but it just—it's a lot. It's—it's—it's it's, it's a couple of year long process to be able to make it happen. Okay, so so that's not aspirational for you, but I know you're quite strategic, and I know you've often said you're playing the long game. Yeah. <laughs> what is that long game? So the long game, I think you touched on. It is to kind of eventually move into working with bigger galleries and museums but I also believe and I really believe this if you force it and you're desperate for it it'll never happen so the way I approach things is like yes that's a long goal and that would be great but I'm just trying to make great work and produce museum level exhibitions on my own and then eventually we'll work together because we're all at the same level does that make sense like I'm not trying to yeah. Look on anyone's door to be like, guys, look at my work. I'm like, you know what? I just need to do the work and when the time comes, it'll happen. Like it will happen, I know. It's just when everyone's ready, you know, because I'm a little bit of an anomaly. Not everyone's ready for me. I get that. <laughs> it'll, it'll come. It'll come. 
in a little bit of time. They've just got to be very ready for all the things that come along with whatever it is that I do. Yeah. Interestingly, you have your collector's data. Um, Have you seen any patterns in terms of age, gender, um, nationality? You know, it's funny. Do you have all that, you know, collective information? But, you know, there's not one specific um, answer to that. We ship artworks all over the world. And it's really interesting that there's some very, very young collectors, like very young, almost like what the how are you so young and buying buying these works? And then there's much more established collectors. And I think that's really interesting because it might have been some young kid on Instagram being like, hey, mum, look at this piece. And it might be their parents who end up buying it or they might have read an article. You never quite know how people might become interested in your work and you just kind of once you've done the work, it's not your property anymore. You kind of put it out into the world and it is what it is. So you never really know how people come to be interested in what makes them actually think that they want to acquire a piece. But, yeah, there's lots of different age groups. Um, and, yeah, we're quite shocked at how young some of the collectors are, which is just frightening. And, yet, yeah, it's not specific to male or female at all. Just a big, yeah. big mix, really. What age is one of your youngest? 22 and one of my biggest, like, private collect, like, not just editions, like, like big, big acquisition pieces, which is just, like, it's just amazing. And then another guy who's 28, he runs a startup and he's young and he's a very successful startup here in the US and he is just a huge, I feel so fortunate that he's such a big supporter of my work and he believes what I stand for and all that type of thing. And he's actually, he's helping to fund some of the exhibitions that are coming up, you know. So it's it's so interesting in the ways that people want to get involved. And that's never happened before. Like we never asked for that. We didn't even know how, you know, that he was interested to go that far. But, yeah, he just so believes in what it is that's happening, you know. So it's just fascinating the type yeah. of invest. Well, I don't know if people are investing or just because they like it. And honestly, if they're investing, I'm like, probably don't invest in me. I'm a bit of a wild card, like definitely not the right person to invest in me. I definitely suggest you try and find another artist. I just think I'm either going to crash and burn or make it to the top. You know, there's no interest in going in between. You know, like that would be so boring. Yeah. It's kind of like you're either going to make it big with me or we're all going to crash and burn. You know, there's... <laughs> We're all going down in a ball of flames and it will be an awesome ball of flames. Exactly. So I just I just say to people, like some people email like, oh, you know, considering this is an investment. Elsa Elsa emails back being like, just don't, just just don't. Like, but if you like the work, then go for it. If you believe in the work and what it stands for and if you appreciate the craftsmanship, then yeah, this is the right artist for you. But if you're just doing it for investment, I wouldn't take the risk. I went to an, a talk on investing in art. Yeah, the guy was basically like, it's like any investing, it's just gambling yes. with, you know. Yes, because art is not stable in any way. So I think, yeah, exactly. Like I would love to have actually been at, that would have been so interesting to listen to that. But I just believe that like you've got to put like the work and the investment should be a secondary thing. Although there are some people who do it for a living, which, oh, God, that would be so scary to do. He's obviously a very wealthy individual and yeah. he's like, I run two streams of my art money one of it is stuff I just buy because I love and one of it is dedicated to investing and he said like any investment I take advice from other experts in the field about 
who they think is up and coming, how long I should hold the piece, how long I should sell the piece. He's like, I often buy pieces I don't necessarily like, but I'm told is a good investment. I'm prepared to lose that money. Like I know that that money may actually all just go down the drain. Yeah. And that is so interesting that you say, because I think with investing in art, the reason I am a risky investment, because I don't have the backing from museums or galleries. And I think more stable artists to invest in are your big blue chip artists. No, you might not make as much on it, but they, they've got just a, such a retained value. Whereas because I am a, a wild card and just so risky, I'm just like, it's just not worth you getting into this. If, if, if that's what people are doing it for, I would just say, oh, God, don't. It's just what a terrible idea, you know? I've probably only been sort of looking at the art world closely for about two years yeah. now. And the more you delve into it, I mean, I think you said this in one podcast earlier, it's like the last Wild West frontier. There's no, there's no rules. Yeah, it's it's and it's brilliant for that reason. And I think... The higher up you go, the scarier it does get or it's perceived to get a little scarier. But there is more pressure. There are more eyeballs. There are more people investing and flipping your work, you know, and that's part of it. You know, you can't control it. It is what happens. And for me, all I do is focus on what's the next extraordinary thing I can do. You know, I never rest on the last thing. It's like, okay, what's the next interesting? And I always try and make it different as well. I don't try and like, I don't want to be a one-trick pony where, you know, I can only Yes, at the, at the moment I can only draw, but the exhibitions are so multi-dimensional. So I really like to focus and, on that and, you know, create the storytelling around the exhibition. You did luxury goods, mm. then the Rorschachs. This year it's kind of death through flowers yeah. in a church. Yeah. The, the topics seem to get a little <laughs> deeper. Yeah, don't they? God. But, you know, and then... But it's funny, I'm not trying to become deeper. It's just what interests me a little bit. And I think the, the idea that I kind of am percolating at the moment is, is quite fun and playful and not at all serious, you know. And so maybe I just go through phases of just thinking more and internalising more and then just being like, oh, fuck it, let's just do something fun. <laughs> you know, so I just think it's like, It'd be so boring if it was like, oh, more and more serious. And then people are like, but you've lost the fun that was there at the beginning, you know? I think the topic that I might explore next is is the opposite of dark. It's okay. Different. I mean, this is a maybe. I'm still not entirely sure what I'm doing yet, but I've, I've been thinking about it for a while. And if I'm still obsessed with an idea for a while, then I'm like, maybe I should pursue it. What would you say is the ratio of work of commissions to your planned exhibition work? Oh, commissions are maybe like 2%. Like I don't... Ah, okay. I'll hand select a few each year. And I do find commissions very special because, you know, like for the commissions for this year, I hop on the phone with everyone and we'll chat through it. And I just want them to know that I'm pumped and I'm excited and it's like a collaborative piece, but it's not my main focus. But I do really enjoy doing them because it is fun working with someone else and kind of coming to a head with an idea. But... Mainly it's exhibition pieces and things I just want to make, you know. That's mainly what I do, which I'm very fortunate. Like that is such a privilege, you know. I know that's not how most people might work. The the treasure hunts, yeah. are they going to become an annual thing? <laughs> I fucking hope so, but how how the fuck do we drop boxes in September? We can't even leave the country. So, oh, yes. Oh, my God, yes. So we're going to have to think of some snazzy little way to drop red boxes. Also, more importantly, I need to think who I'm going to actually copyright infringe this year 
and not actually get sued. Like the point's not to get sued, but if I do, I'm like, hee, 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 whoops. It's meant to be a bit skirting the line and a bit naughty. Um, you know, so I just need to think of who I want to rip off this year, like which artist and, you know, who's going to see the, the, the fun, funny side. Who's going to see the yeah. fun in it, yeah. Exactly. Be careful. You don't want to go too, with anyone too serious because I'm just chill out like this is funny no one's making money this is just funny chill out like it's so cool um you know your your last drop that you did here in Australia there was one box that was 50 meters from my husband's work and there was one box that was 50 meters from our house so and we missed both of them right and Sean was just like I cannot believe this what's he bloody good for ditch him no (laughs) He even went to the guy. There was a box dropped in Neutral Bay, which was right near his work. Like, yeah. it was literally across the road from his work. And he went to the guy's door and was like, hey, mate, uh, did you buy That is so funny. But, no, I actually think, we, we, like, I would be devastated if we couldn't do it. And I'm just, I'm all about, like, cool, okay, here's the problem. What's the solution? So I'm like, right, we will think of a way to drop boxes. It might be via Australia Post. I was going to say, you need to, like, post us a box and I'll drop it somewhere for you. 100%. Or I'll get, like, my sister on. Yes. Because she's a great driver. Like, she's a great getaway driver. So there's we'll think of something, like a way to do these drops. Like, maybe, you know, there's a crew in Australia doing it. We're doing it here in New York. Like, I think that we can get it done, you know, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. If you could acquire any painting in the world what would you acquire so it's actually not a painting it's a sculpture and it's it's by mark quinn and i can't fucking remember the name of it but it's 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 this white giant super heavy steel or brass it I, i can't remember what it's made of orchid and it is so magnificent it took my breath away so many years ago i've always had it in my mind i'm like i will own it someday and I've just – and the flowers of all things, I really don't enjoy flowers, but this piece is, is just magnificent. I think the scale of it's quite extraordinary. Yeah, I was just about to say to you, it's a flower and you don't like flowers. <laughs> no, but it's Mark Quinn and he's amazing. Or to be like in a Nish Kapoor dome or like something – I just really enjoy sculpture and I don't make sculpture and I don't know how to make sculpture, but I really would go towards sculpture. I don't know why. What would you get? I have a bit of a Frida love affair, but the the hilarious thing is I love her story. I don't necessarily love her works. Oh. I went to the V&A Museum in London a couple of years ago and they had a sold-out exhibition and I was like, how do I get in? And they were like, well, you can become a member. I was like, done. <laughs> so I just became a member to walk around and look at like Frida Kahlo clothes and how interesting. Yeah, her story is amazing. But yeah, I'm with you. It, yeah, I, I don't look at her work and think, oh, wow, I'd love to own that. But maybe that's why I enjoy some artists' work is because you, you get invested in the story and then sometimes it doesn't even matter about the piece. It's just what they stand for and what they believe in. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly it for me with Frida Kahlo, like just the perseverance and the, she wasn't famous when she was alive. She didn't make money when she was alive, but she just did it. Yeah. I think that's really, really cool. Yeah, that's a, there's a lot to admire in that. And I think, God, that that's so inspiring. I'd love to, like, just 
live more like that, you know, just make the great thing. But you are making the great thing. This is, you are making a really great thing. <laughs> I am, but I, th- I think sometimes I, I want to create things at such a big scale. I can sometimes overwhelm myself with, for example, how much it might cost or, you know, because, and then I sometimes need to just scale it back. Often that's why Lewis is so good. He's like, it doesn't need to cost a lot often. And then we often have these big discussions about like pieces and exhibitions and installations, which were so simple in their thought and the way it was thought out, but the execution was just on another level. So and you CJ'd it. Yeah, and then half the time I'm like, right, why am I thinking so big? Just think simple and you can scale up anything simple. And, you know, it's just about honing in on the most sometimes most simple concept and you can make it big and sometimes I can get a little overwhelmed with how big I want things to be. I think it's really fantastic what you've done. I really have a whole lot of admiration for your work and your kind of vision that you you've gone out and you've done all this. I think it's really um it's really awesome. And and I am gonna let you go after this, but I also do want to say like Chris Jenner. I admire her as well because there is a certain level of brains and genius that goes into your daughter coming to you saying, oh, my God, I've made a sex tape and it's on the internet. Uh, I, honestly, everyone talks about the cutout and, like, they laugh and talk down and I'm secretly being like, you are kidding. Like, Chris Jenner is the mastermind behind this whole fucking operation. I, like, I, if, you know how when people are like, oh, who would you want to sit down with and have dinner? I'm like, Chris Jenner, one-on-one, that's all I want. Like, I just want to be like, one, go. Tell me everything. Like, day one, go. Like, I just need to <laughs> It's genius on steroids. I cannot even explain it. It's seeing an opportunity where most people would have just gone, yeah, like would have crumbled, right? It's seeing an opportunity and it's a strength and a, it's a resilience and it's a capitalising on a market and a society. She, and also she has built um, Kylie Jenner's lip kit whole empire, the billion-dollar empire. That is Kris Jenner behind that. Kim Kardashian's success is, you know, all the – it's all Kris Jenner and it's just – she's just – and you know what I find even more fascinating? And this is what gets me. She was already a mum of five. She had five kids. And then she, you know, she was just like a stay-at-home mum, you know, and then she built this mega empire in her, you know, late 40s, early 50s. And I just don't like, yes. you can start at any stage. Yes, they kind of were wealthy by, you know, the Kardashian father, but what has been built, oh, I don't know, I, oh, I, she, what, a, what an amazing case study she would be. I really, it's just amazing. And they've got one of your works. Well, I guess they've got one of your works through yeah. Tanya up in there. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah, it is. Thanks so much for your time. It's been really awesome. Thank you. I really I – mean, you what great insightful questions you have. The, I can tell you really have either taken the time or really do understand a little bit more about what's going on. I so appreciate that. It just makes for a more insightful conversation. So I appreciate that. My pleasure. If you do need a Sydney box drop driver, hit me up. <laughs> Honestly, done and dusted. Like, you have to get your Formula One on, like, you know, get your race car driving skills on, my friend. 